What is up, Bitcoiners? This is CK, and this is another Bitcoin Magazine podcast. For this episode, I sit down with Dare Gigi, the prolific Bitcoin thinker and the senior software engineer over at Swan Bitcoin. Make sure to check out Dare Gigi at Dare Gigi on Twitter. Make sure to check out Swan Bitcoin and all the amazing Bitcoin content and easy DCAing you can do over there. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to talk about our sponsor. This is BitcoinBlackFriday.com. At BitcoinBlackFriday.com, you can go and you can find tons and tons of deals, hundreds of deals for Bitcoin. You can get close to 50% off and really, really steep discounts on some of your favorite hardware wallets, amongst other amazing merchandise that is available on BitcoinBlackFriday.com. There's only two more weeks to take advantage of all the amazing deals there. And there's only two more weeks to take advantage of the Fold Sats Back Card 1 Bitcoin giveaway. If you go to BitcoinBlackFriday.com, over in the header, you can click onto that and you can get onto the wait list for the Fold Sats Back Debit Card. And if you get onto the wait list, through the Bitcoin Black Friday link, you are entered into a competition to win one whole Bitcoin. We're going to have a drawing on Black Friday, and the winner is going to get an entire Bitcoin. That is a life-changing amount of sats. Today, that's $16,000. When we started this competition, it was $10,000. So one BTC, who knows how big of a giveaway this is going to be when it all comes to an end. But you guys, BitcoinBlackFriday.com, the one BTC giveaway from Fold and all the other amazing deals on there. Don't miss it. And without further ado, let's just get right into this podcast with Dare Gigi. This week, I am sitting down with just one of the most fascinating and deep thinkers in the Bitcoin space, my good friend, Gigi, at DareGigi on Twitter. Gigi, welcome to the show. Hey, CK. Thanks for having me. So Gigi is the senior engineer or a senior engineer at the much-loved Swan Bitcoin, but is also just an absolutely prolific content creator. Before we got on this call, he said, when I asked him, what does he do or what should I say he does? He said, I just write words and code for Bitcoin. So he is here as part of you know Bitcoin's meme army and one of the most powerful soldiers as far as I'm concerned. So Really excited to get into a recent thread that he put out on his Twitter. I guess it wasn't that it wasn't that recent. It was kind of a, a while ago, but it's one of my favorite threads and on one of the topics that I am most interested in, which is Bitcoin's circular nature. So I guess without further ado, Gigi, do you want to just kind of jump into introducing the concept of Bitcoin's circularity from you know what we've discussed and what you've kind of come up with? Yeah, of course. You were actually not, like a big part of this insight <laughs> since we met in person in Riga and we were like hit it off quite well and had some long and deep discussions. And of course, we got a little bit drunk and got a little bit cosmic and stuff like that. And so, just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how it happened, but I had this kind of, to me at least, profound insight that Bitcoin is inherently circular and that it has this circular nature and if you study bitcoin it it's kind of obvious but it it kind of hit me in a, in a weird way how deeply true this is and it like i think there are so many great memes in the bitcoin space and most of them are 
way more profoundly true than most people and even mo most Bitcoiners, I think, realize. And the, the two I like most is like Bitcoin is different things to different people. And the second one is is pretty much like one BTC equals one BTC. <laughs> and the, it all relates to this circular idea. I think, you know, Bitcoin is so many different things depending on how you look at it. And I think it all kind of loops back to the fact that it's a very powerful idea and a very powerful meme. And it's this mind virus that spreads pretty much. So that, that was part of the insight that it's, it's kind of unstoppable in the sense that it, it is a sound idea. It's not only sound money, but it is like something that works from first principles. And you can see that as well, that many Bitcoiners that studied it for years intensely and tried to break it, tried to, to break this idea, they all arrived at the same shelling point that they, they cannot break this idea. And so all of that was part of this insight. And um, I think, yeah, we can dive deeper into certain aspects of this circle in nature if you want to. Yeah. So I think one of the most fundamental and basic aspects of Bitcoin circularity is kind of this mechanism of price hash rate increases, adoption increases, and then repeat, right? So like everything is kind of circularly connected to price and awareness of Bitcoin. Can you talk about the relationship between price, security, and adoption and how that is is used in, in the Bitcoin system or how that works? Yeah, as as Michael Saylor, like one of the latest very bullish <laughs> additions to the Bitcoin the Bitcoin, Bitcoin army, so to speak. Um, he mentioned a couple of times in his interviews that he views Bitcoin as a system that doesn't leak, like it's a closed system, it's a closed loop, so to speak. And he compares it a lot to thermodynamics and it's like a, a battery that doesn't leak. Like uh, the idea that money is a battery isn't, isn't new, like it's, it's an economic battery. And so the, with a closed system, you, you have the problem of like bootstrapping. If, if nothing, comes out of it again, you need a way to bootstrap yourself. And Bitcoin does, it, does this beautifully in this loopy, circular, self-referential nature. So I think the most important step by far in, in Bitcoin's life uh, as of now, like from the first block to now, I think the most important step was from zero to one, from like no value at all to some value that someone, for whatever reason, put some value on a Bitcoin. And ever since we're in this eternal feedback loop and it seems like, <laughs> like and it's, it's again, it's a meme, but once you understand it deeply enough, you realize how profoundly true it is. It, Bitcoin has only, there's only one thing that can happen to the price and it can only go up. And you, as you mentioned, you have this, this price security adoption feedback cycle and it's all interrelated. But in terms of price, you basically have like once the number goes up, then mining becomes more profitable. That means more people are going to mine. So the number of miners goes up as well, which in turn means the security goes up and which in turn means that the trust and the usage of the network goes up. And this in turn makes number go up as well because the whole network is more valuable and the asset becomes more valuable. And this is also true for 
um, security. So again, like all of this is interrelated, but once the price rises, again, mining becomes more prof- profitable and more processing power goes into mining. So the cryptographic walls become stronger and thicker. And again, the network becomes more secure, secure and the demand for store of value goes up. So again, it's, it's the same kind of feedback loop. So price and security are, are very interrelated. And so is adoption as well. And we see again, these loops, these adoption cycles, and we are, we're at the beginning of the next hype cycle. Like we're at the beginning of the next bull run. I think it's it's kind of obvious. <laughs> all all systems are are go, and the rocket is lighting up. And so again, if if the if the number goes up, then like media hype is going to be generated. New waves of people are going to come in, and and some of those people will study Bitcoin enough and will will get it and will become Bitcoiners and will see behind the speculation and see behind like making more US dollars with Bitcoin, but they will they will flip their <laughs> unit of account and will try to get as many sets as possible. And this in turn means more education, more educational material, more development, more hodlers are going to be born in the next cycle. And again, the, mi- the mind vi- virus spreads again, like more memes are going to be created, more art is going to be created. And all of that helps to to spread the Bitcoin mind virus. And uh, yeah, with the next cycle, number will go up again. Absolutely. And I think that you have to be in Bitcoin for an entire cycle from a deep bear market all the way through a bull market to fully understand what you just said, which is that Every single time this cycle flows through, new people are recruited and those new people are actually better at spreading Bitcoin than the old people. You know, you love the OGs, you uh, you try to learn as much from the people with that experience, but then you look at someone like Michael Saylor, who has a much larger following, has much more clout, has much more skin in the game just immediately and seemingly has the ability to, uh, you know, spread the Bitcoin message in new and profound ways that, you know, us Bitcoiners have been, you know, shitposting on Twitter for four years, you know, maybe we're moving in that direction and we helped him get there, but he's just added so much. And guess what? You know, there are much bigger fish than Michael Saylor that have yet to fully enter the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think all of it compounds, you know, like, like thinking through the different aspects of Bitcoin takes a lot of time. And if you can just read a piece by Parker Lewis or Robert Breelove and don't have to do the hundreds or even thousands of hours of thinking yourself. You, it, It's like a cheat code, you know, and Michael Saylor admitted that as well. You know, like once someone figured it out and can present it in a succinct and understandable way, it's very easy to kind of get it as well. Like once uh, he, he also compared it to, to some other um, like breakthroughs in understanding. Once, once you understand how gravity works, for example, then you kind of like some engineering concepts, then you, you kind of can easily apply it and understand it. And you don't need to, you don't need to come to the same conclusion yourself. So you save yourself a lot of time. And I think this will continue to, to be true. And we see it already with Michael Saylor. He has various different pitches for Bitcoin down because he's a very successful businessman and investor and he, he knows how to pitch Bitcoin to investors and he knows how to pitch Bitcoin to like technologists and he knows how to even how he should talk to other Bitcoiners about Bitcoin. And he, he, I think like he's insanely deep down the rabbit hole and he gets the more esoteric concepts in Bitcoin as well. 
and yeah it's and not to interrupt you and not to interrupt you but (laughs) guys like him guys like preston pish guys that have you know clout and um and deep understanding in the areas that we want to take bitcoin seeing them not only you know become fascinated with bitcoin but also become part of the bitcoin community it's just it's it's so incredibly bullish Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it's <laughs> it's one thing to find other people on the internet <laughs> agree agree with you, so you know you're not insanely completely crazy. But it's another thing if like CEOs of multi-million or even billion-dollar companies come in and pretty much repeat what you've been saying for the last couple of years, and you were always the crazy person, and now <laughs> the the group of crazy person <laughs> crazy persons just yeah some very high profile people joined and this is very very good to see so it it seems that the bitcoiners are are onto something okay so i think we digressed a little bit from the circular nature but i think we've done a really good job of really highlighting the compound snowballing effect that you know bitcoin has and as a closed loop system that doesn't leak value that doesn't leak mindshare we've seen it really dominate yeah absolutely and just like this is i think this is only one aspect of the circular nature of bitcoin like and there are even like subcomponents in bitcoin i as you know i really love the comparison of bitcoin as a new form of life and life is also circular like nature nature itself is circular and some people compared bitcoin to nature and the natural process and that's how i see it as well i see it as a like cybernetic organism and who lives in symbiosis with with humans so like bitcoin pays us to keep it alive and um bitcoin also evolves like for example this the whole bitcoin software is kind of circular in nature as well if you think about it in the right way like for example you know as soon as a new version gets released like like the whole improvement process for example there are new bits proposed like the improvements are proposed they're discussed and eventually like a pull request is opened eventually it gets added to the code the pull request gets merged and a new version is released and it all begins anew you know like the, it, it's it's not unlike biological systems how, how they upgrade of course it's <laughs> it's not as random and like it's a more directed evolution so to speak and also like to pick another circular sub process in bitcoin mining itself is completely circular like finding a new block is just uh, an insanely circular process because it's always the same race and then once once someone won the competition it starts in you you know like you you bundle transactions in the block you verify the transactions you at the hash of the previous block header you solve the proof of work puzzle by iterating through the nonsense and then you add it to the chain once you found a solution and you propagate your solution and then it starts all over again you again bundle transactions from the mempool into a block and so all of that is is just fascinating to me that so many aspects of bitcoin are circular and i think also understanding bitcoin it, it it's kind of a to me at least <laughs> it was kind of a circular journey that's also why I, why i said like um i think the rabbit hole is circular so you first when you first hear about bitcoin it's just this like crazy idea or at least it was for me like and you think yeah oh, this idea can never work and also how how bitcoin got started and got developed it went from idea to code to technology eventually became like a financial thing eventually became like a social movement eventually like 
a cult formed around it. I think we're at the cult stage now, pretty much like it have been for a while. And it, it all goes back to how Bitcoin is this very powerful idea. And I think the cult rallies around the idea in the end, you know, and so it, it loops back to being an idea again. And all of, all of this kind of, yeah, hit me <laughs> over a year ago. And ever since I, I just, I can't, I can't stop thinking about those kind of things. And I, yeah, I still have some writing to do to flesh this out. <laughs> so speaking about the Bitcoin cult, I think cult is a very decisive word. I think it's a word that really turns off a lot of people, but it's also a word that Bitcoiners seem to have a lot of pride in and rally around. Can you talk about like what you define as a cult and why is cult-like behavior in Bitcoin something that's very healthy for the system? Yeah, again, like coming back to the biology metaphor, I think the cultish Bitcoiners, like the toxic maximalists, they act as the white blood cells of the organism. So in the end, there is a social component to all of it. And you kind of have to, yeah, you, you have to protect this idea. And there are people that will protect this idea at all, at all costs. And I think Michael Saylor talked about that a lot as well. It was one of his main decisions why he decided to invest, invest almost half a billion dollars into Bitcoin. It's because the block size debate and the social conflict around it, like the civil war around the block size increase, it, it was resolved in the end. And there were people that, in his words, like they're, they're willing to defend the network to the, to the death. And that's, that's definitely like very, a, a very serious commitment to this idea and to this monetary network and to this revolution. And I think in Bitcoin, the, the, the main idea is around the unchanging system, like the unchanging monetary policy, because without that, you will never disentangle money from the state or money from human involvement. involvement. And so you need something that is unchanging and it, that's doing its own thing. And once you try to meddle with this idea and once you try to introduce change, you, you destroy the whole essence of the system. And I think this was, this was the, the main fight in the in the in the block size debate like it to me it wasn't really about scaling you know like scaling is 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 a side issue to me it was changing the system in any way shape or form and that doesn't mean that bitcoin doesn't get upgrades and doesn't evolve and doesn't get better it's just whatever the soul of bitcoin is whatever the the essence is and you can define that technically as well like once you hard fork away, you kind of you didn't stick to the essence of Bitcoin. So that's that's how I see it, and that, that also doesn't mean like I always have to preface this. <laughs> there's there's of course nuance, you know. Like if the only way that the organism survives is a, is going to be a hard fork, then obviously people will have to hard fork. Like if if it is hard fork or death, then I will choose hard fork. But if it's for other stupid reasons, like not a chance. And I think it's interesting to hear Michael Saylor talk about that, that this, this was like, this was the deciding factor for him that there, that, that we survived that. And there are people, as he said, like willing to die for this and willing to defend the network at all costs. And I think that's where the, the cultish behavior comes in. Like you, once, once you align yourself with, with a cause very deeply, I think it's, 
it's very natural to be cultish and religious about that. And you see that, I, I think it's just human nature. You see that all the time. You see it in politics. You see it with other movements. And um, yeah, you see it in Bitcoin as well. I don't know. I, I have a lot of strong thoughts and, and I, I totally agree. I even, you know, there's this other meme in Bitcoin. It's It kind of goes along with the cult, but it's the, the Bitcoin taco clubs. And you know, many Bitcoin taco plebs are incredibly, incredibly intelligent people and well, you know, thought out people, you know, calling them plebs kind of feels weird. But, you know, a lot of plebs are just normal people. And I feel like, you know, the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that its ideas have become so understandable that just everyday normal people are starting to pick up on them. And then they're starting to hang out with other plebs. And then those plebs are lifting them up. And there's this, there's like this social circularity and, and improvement cycle that happens, you know, within everyone that touches Bitcoin. And I'm just kind of curious, like, have you been observing this process? And, you know, what's your commentary on this phenomenon? Yeah, I think it's one of the most interesting phenomena currently in the Bitcoin space. Like it, it obviously changes you. And it's very hard for me to untangle why that is it's it obviously lowers your time preference for example and Saifedean talks about that a lot i think the best person to to talk about that is john vallis he's very interested in the personal and individual change that bitcoin seems to i don't know it seems to channel it or enable it at least i think it also has to do that it enables some kind of financial freedom so it is one way to leave the red race and to just yeah exit the that slavery to some degree like if 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 you truly stick around for long enough and you just stack sets during one full cycle you're probably in a way better financial position than you've been before and also you you obviously you learn about money you learn about financial systems you learn about financial constructs you learn about all the ways um, you might keep your or even increase your purchasing power you kind of you, you learn a lot of things <laughs> just in general and how how money and the world works and that puts you in a better position automatically i think it's it also it's not only the lowering of time preference it's also the taking on of complete responsibility like if you do it the bitcoin way the only thing that is truly acceptable <laughs> is self-custody and running your own node and just taking everything in your own hands. And I think this also has rippling effects throughout your whole life. Like once you, once you manage to be self-sovereign when it comes to your finances, you will probably be self-sovereign in other areas of your life as well. So I think that's those two are probably the, the main drivers, but I think there is even a deeper, more, esoteric and spiritual reason for it i think i think you at least bitcoin to me is something akin to absolute truth like capital t truth and if you think about it technically nakamoto consensus is truth per, per definition like whatever has the heaviest chain whoever has the heaviest change has the capital t truth <laughs> and even if it changes and we have like a chain split and the, and uh, like history changes so to speak there is never a debate what what is what is true and what is not so to speak and i think viewing it from from that perspective bitcoin can also be seen as this 
this immovable object, so to speak. And I think interacting with such a mighty immovable object changes you in a way as well. And I also think, you know, like I really like the, the latest, well, one of the latest pieces by Nick Carter, Bitcoin at 12. He published it on the day the white paper came out and he compared it to a cathedral being built. Like you, you work on something that is bigger than yourself and you work on a, on a common vision and you, 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 you're fine with the fact that you might not be alive to see the cathedral. You just working on a, on a grand project is, is enough, so to speak. And I think Bitcoin is truly bigger than every one of us. Like I, I've said it many times before, I think the, the heartbeat of the Bitcoin network will outlive all of ours. And I think, I think it's true. Like it's <laughs> there. Once you understand Bitcoin, there's, there's no way that's, that, that's not true. Like it will definitely outlive me and it will outlive everyone else just like electricity does you know like electricity outlives all of us and i see bitcoin on the same level than electricity and the internet and like all those things that we take for granted now i think in time it will be clear that it will be like one of those things that we just invented and it won't go away and i think all of this all of this combined it 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 obviously changes you and i think for for most people, at least for most Bitcoiners that I interact with, it definitely changes you to the better. So I want you to explain why Bitcoin is going to be around longer than us. And I want you to explain it to someone who might not believe that. And I think that this could be useful for someone who's listening to this podcast and doesn't believe that, but it could also be useful for a Bitcoiner who's listening to this podcast and frequently will have to explain that to people in their lives. So it's really hard to explain without getting technical. And I, I don't want to get technical on, on this podcast. I think there's enough, there are enough resources out there to really dig deep into that. But unkillability and decentralization are the same thing. Like if you, if you think about life as being decentralized, like ants, for example, ants are extremely decentralized. You, 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 maybe you can stamp out one ant colony, but you can't stamp out all the ants on earth. And the Bitcoin network is set up like, you know, that there are some, some quote unquote centralized anthills, maybe, and maybe you can like drop a nuke and then those anthills are gone, but you, you will never be able to stamp out all the ants on the earth. You, you would have to do it simultaneously. You would have to do a coordinated attack on every ant on the planet. And that's how Bitcoin is set up. That's how Bitcoin behaves. That's why Bitcoin is unkillable. And the whole idea of Bitcoin, like the whole reason why Satoshi invented Bitcoin in the first place is to invent something, to build something, to bootstrap something that they can't stop. And it doesn't matter who they are. It, it might be the government. It might be all the governments of the world. It might be it, pick your attack vector. It's the whole idea of Bitcoin is that it's unstoppable. That's, that's the whole, like, that's the whole game. <laughs> and I always have to laugh about <laughs> every other project that calls itself a quote unquote cryptocurrency, whatever that means. <laughs> like, <laughs> If you have like pause buttons and outages and like <laughs> development teams that can't just shut down the network, then you, you, what kind of game are you even playing? And so I, I just, I just use killing all the ends of this world <laughs> as an analogy. Just try that. And it, so I, I hope this kind of makes it obvious that, um, yeah, ants are going to be around. And so, <laughs> so the Bitcoin network is going to be around as well. 
I actually really love the ant analogy, and I feel like that's going to make a fantastic clip to share on social media and hopefully try to explain to people, meme to people, you know, why Bitcoin is such an anti-fragile beast. <laughs> it's even worse than ants, you know, like it's if you if you kill a couple of ants on, on one part of the planet, they will become more resilient and pop out somewhere else, you know, like that's how Bitcoin works. <laughs> it's like the Hydra. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So part of your thread is you kind of dive into, you know, obviously Bitcoin is multifaceted, but Bitcoin is also different things to different people. And people kind of, they project themselves onto Bitcoin. Can you talk a little bit about that concept and how it applies to, you know, individuals and how they may interpret Bitcoin? Yeah, I think I think, you know, Bitcoin is so prismatic in nature. It's there's just no no other way to project your worldview and your experiences on it and i i'm guilty of that as well like i i came from a computer science background uh, as a programmer and i saw it as just a, a technical toy at first like i i had no no idea about money or the history of money or economics or anything like that and i wasn't trading at all so there are some people that come in that are purely trading and they see it as an asset to be traded and that's all they do and that's all they see and i i really love this phrase that bitcoin is different things to different people because it's it's so obviously true and you know you have the financial planners of this world that that see it as like a, a, a hedge to whatever inflation or <laughs> you, you also have the cypher that, that see it very differently. You have the Austrian economists that see it very differently. Um, you also have people that really need to use Bitcoin either to protect themselves from inflation or also from seizure of assets. And uh, you also have like sex workers and other marginalized groups that might not have great access to financial instruments and they might be forced to use it as well. You also have some jurisdictions that outlaw certain kinds of of drugs and medication and they might have to use it as well to just to to get what they need to get and there are all kinds of different people like how you see it how, how you can see it and understand it and i think we we kind of see that it evolve over time as well like as bitcoin evolves and our understanding of it evolves all of those kind of ways how you can view bitcoin and also how Bitcoin appeals to you and the groups, the different groups of people that it might appeal to will change. And we see that now, like Bitcoin is now very appealing, for example, to companies and CEOs as just reserve as it to, to put it on your balance sheet, to your, on your balance sheet. And we didn't see that like five years ago, you know, and just, you could argue that Bitcoin wasn't ready yet and it was too small and too volatile and so on and so forth. I, I think it still will be insanely volatile, <laughs> but it's now, it, it now has a proven track record and some people understand it well enough as a savings technology and understand like the, the 21 million limit and everything that relates to that well enough that they are saying, I'm moving away from the dollar. I'm moving away from the Euro and my base money, so to speak, for my company or for myself is going to be Bitcoin. And I, I really I really love how this is evolving and how kind of slowly, but on the other hand, very quickly is happening that we have people now that are living on the Bitcoin standard. And we, we had that for a while. I mean, there are some individuals that live on the Bitcoin standard, but now we have companies moving towards a Bitcoin standard. And I think this will evolve as well. And we will have 
even bigger entities moving towards a Bitcoin standard. Yeah, I mean, you talking about kind of like this snowballing effect in Bitcoin growing to meet new needs, it kind of makes me think of a really fantastic article that Dinez Sat posted on Bitcoin Magazine. You can follow him on Twitter at Dinez, M-S-A-A-T. But the article is titled, In Trading Hours, Bitcoin is a Mature Asset. And what Dinez did was he calculated how many trading hours Bitcoin had been trading and then compared it to how many hours the S&P 500 had been trading, the Dow Jones Industrial Average had been trading, and several other like key financial instruments. And in trading hours terms, Bitcoin is already has been traded more than almost every asset on the Dow Jones Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ. The S&P 500 Bitcoin will overtake it next summer and Dow Jones probably in the next three and a half years. So it has twice as many, a little bit bigger of a lead. But ultimately, you know, Bitcoin, because it's permissionless, because it's growing exponentially and it's compounding on itself, like it's it's kind of ballooning into something that's much bigger than people are are expecting it to be. I mean, that's just one example of how it's doing it on, you know, existing assets. I feel like that kind of like plays into this idea of, you know, Bitcoin is just growing into this, something that can be relied on by more and more people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, like we haven't even seen the start of it yet. Like uh, all of that is true, but also I think it it kind of hasn't even started yet. I mean, it's it's not outrageous to think that in a couple of years, maybe even like next year or two years from now, we will have like high frequency trading on lightning, for example. And then everything that has to do with trading volumes, it, it will just explode. And the, the way I like to think about that is my my favorite comparison to make sense of what is happening is like, just look back and look at how the internet developed and just the outrageous amounts of information that are stored and transported on the internet. Like, you know, I think everyone kind of knows those statistics that I don't know, like a gazillion hours of video content is uploaded like every minute <laughs> to the internet. And there's just like, I, 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 don't, I don't have the numbers on top of my head, but it, it's all of it is ridiculous, you know, and the uh, amount of petabytes that are stored and it's, you just can't make sense of these numbers. And if you would have talked about these numbers like 20 years ago or 30 years ago that we will have so much information in this global communications network that like not even all of the lifetimes combined would be enough to just watch all the video content on, on 2x for example and it's it, it's it's ridiculous you know it's it's really ridiculous and i think it will be equally ridiculous even more so in bitcoin that it, it the party hasn't even started yet like i, I really like the analysis of uh, Krasos BTC on, on Twitter, who talks about where we are in terms of just a regular technology adoption curve. And we are still in the, in the early, like we're not even in the early adopters phase yet, pretty much like we're, I think, around hovering around like 1% of people that interact with Bitcoin in any way, like worldwide. And and you know, like the early adopters start with like two point five percent or something. I might have these numbers wrong, but if you if you imagine if you imagine just the, the big big S curve, we are still at the very very bottom of the S curve. So so the the big knee hasn't even started yet, and and um, I can't tell you when it's gonna start, but I, I think just nothing will make sense anymore. Everything's going to be really wild and <laughs> everything has to, it has the potential to happen very, very quickly. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, moving from 10,000 to 16,000 felt like it happened quickly. And I have a feeling like that is not even the beginning of what, quote unquote, the S curve looks like. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, the the way I think about it is, I, I feel like the whole macro environment is so ridiculously stupid. And just, it's it's hard to think of a better hyper-Bitcoinization scenario. But it, it of course depends on on your viewpoint what's what's good and what not. But I think we're gonna see fiat currencies failing left and right. And so pricing Bitcoin in fiat currencies just won't make sense anymore. Like we will we'll have ridiculous prices just like they had in Weimar, Germany, you know, like <laughs> like a stake is like two billion <laughs> Weimar dollars, whatever. <laughs> you know, like Deutsche Reichsmark. And so I think it's going to be stupid, all of it. And I, I, I don't think it's, it necessarily is going to happen all at once because it will happen hopefully kind of slowly and hope, hopefully like country by country and so on and so forth. And, but still, I, I have the feeling that it, it has the potential to happen really quickly because the world is so interconnected. And you also, as we've seen in 2020, like a lot of crazy shit can happen. And just with the coronavirus, for example, you know, like, if you had told anyone two months before the global lockdown that every, everything will be locked down, most people would have laughed you out of the room. And I think similar things can happen that just people switch to Bitcoin. And of course, I think Bitcoin currently isn't ready, but who knows what kind of improvements come along and suddenly it is ready. And I just would like to remind of every, like everyone of the fact that, you know, <laughs> couple of years ago, TikTok didn't exist. And then it took them like, I don't know, six months to get a ridiculous amount of users, like a billion users in, in a couple of months. And I just want to point out that in, in today's day and age, downloading a new app and just adopting a kind of new payment system, like a new PayPal or Venmo or whatever have you, and it uses Bitcoin in the background, it can happen really quickly. And I think we will have a couple of these moments and I termed in the voice over IP moment for Bitcoin. And this happened on the internet as well. Like at one point in time, all the telephone networks, they switched to internet tele- telephony, like voice over IP. And as an end user, you don't necessarily notice it, but it's a big change. And I, I, I see, and it also happened on TV, for example, if we made the switch from analog to digital and like, no, but as an end user, you probably don't even notice like, you get a new box and the picture is clearer and whatever. If you lose signal, you lose it completely. That's the changes that you that you notice. But we can have the same on the financial infrastructure, for example. Again, like I don't think Bitcoin is ready yet, but maybe it will be in five years and maybe it can happen all at once then. Because if you as a bank have a competitive adva- advantage to settle everything in Bitcoin, for example, or if you're a payment provider or what have you, if you're a new kind of bank, then all of it can happen really quickly. But again, it's it's really hard to say. It is really hard to say. And I mean, we could talk for hours about, you know, what it will look like. I know that Stacy Herbert and Max Kaiser have a great podcast, the Orange Pill podcast, which kind of like dreams about what hyper Bitcoinization will look like. And the CEO of Bitcoin Magazine, David Bailey, he's quoted saying that it doesn't begin until hyper Bitcoinization, like the true prosperity that Bitcoin and the sound money system will provide doesn't begin until Bitcoin is the standard. So I mean, I guess, before we end it, Gigi, do you have any last words on, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin adoption from the perspective of circularity and 
yeah, I guess we can just kind of close it out from there. Yeah, I think I think it's I think the sentiment is true that it doesn't really begin once we hit hyperbitcoinization, and it's really hard to define hyperbitcoinization precisely. Like again, it's also very hard to define when the internet won and when the internet took over. It obviously won. Like if you want to do anything meaningful in terms of communication or putting out content or something, if you're not doing it on the internet, what are you even doing? And I think it will be very similar, but you can't really pinpoint where the internet took over and and when other mediums died. So I think it will be similar for, for Bitcoin. And I think it will just be in terms of circularity, there is obviously a circular Bitcoin economy already. There are people earning Bitcoin. There are people out of necessity spending Bitcoin because 100% of the income stream is in Bitcoin. So you have to spend it to just pay rent and buy food. And I think, I think the amount of people that are living like that and just opting out of their fiat system will grow. And I, I agree that the, the real fun starts once we have a critical mass of those people and companies and also yeah, probably nation states in the future, but who knows how long this will take. <laughs> and yeah, I think it, it will be just very interesting changes because remember there's no way to, the only way to get Bitcoin is to acquire it from someone else. Like you cannot, you, you pretty much cannot steal Bitcoin. You have to provide something of value and someone else has to willingly part with their Bitcoin. And I think, I think the profundity of that cannot be overstated. Like there, there is no other way to extract value from the global markets than to be productive. And I think this is an enormous change for society. And I, I think, you know, like the, the circular economy that Bitcoin gravitates towards, it will be a bright orange future to <laughs> quote another meme. Amazing, amazing. Well, you guys, you can find GG at DareGG. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. And of course, you can find all this content at Bitcoin Magazine. GG, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for breaking down these complex ideas. I think there's um, amazing explanations in here and I can't wait to dissect it and break it down and, and share these memes with the world. Thanks for having me, CK. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.